Welcome to Higher State of Being, our bi-monthly podcast about how you can live your best life. I'm Kat Cogren. And I'm Teddy Rocklin, certified clinical hypnotherapist and registered psychotherapist. Together, we're going to explore topics that we all care about, like how to improve sleep, how to reduce anxiety, and how to have healthier relationships. We will be inviting expert guests to share their professional knowledge on each of these fascinating topics and so much more. At the end of each episode, we'll post a guided meditation so that you can reinforce the techniques and strategies that we've discussed. Each podcast, together with the associated guided meditation, will help you live your life more fully and reach a higher state of being. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Higher State of Being. I can't believe we are already in the fourth quarter of the year, Teddy. Um, it's going so fast and it's been so much fun, huh? What a year it's been though. A lot of, a lot of transition, a lot of new beginnings and new, new paradigms for sure. And being able to launch this podcast during 2020, uh, I just feel like it was meant to be. And, um, we're going to talk about a subject today that might feel pretty heavy to some of our listeners. And, and I'm sure some of our listeners are dealing with this, topic of grief in many different ways right now. It's um, it's really, whether it's a loss of someone close to you, which many people have experienced that this year, the loss of a job, so many different things, even a, even a beloved pet or a friendship or a relationship, you know, grief is a pretty serious and, and heavy subject, but as we're starting to find out, it's kind of a misunderstood subject as well. Yeah, and on that note, I want to introduce our very special mm-hmm. guest, Suzanne Carter. Uh, Suzanne is a licensed professional counselor and certified grief recovery specialist, as well as an author, equine assisted psychotherapist, and ordained minister, just to name a few of her credentials. How are you today, Suzanne? I'm really good today, and I'm happy to be here with you. Well, we're grateful for it too. Um, all these all these certifications and specialties that you have, the one that you're here for today is the Certified Grief Recovery Specialist. Tell us a little bit about how you got into that type of work. Well, my um, I had been a therapist for about uh, 18 or 19 years and my sister died. And um, even as a therapist and a minister, I was floored by that loss. And just because of what I do, I thought I found ways to deal with the grief personally. And um, I, I called a former therapist. He said, get this book, the grief recovery handbook. It'll change your life in going through it and getting certified. And that, that's how I did it. And I was so amazed at how, how I felt before I got the grief book and before I did the work and then how I felt afterward. I knew that I needed to bring this more to the people I work with because it's an amazing process that enables us to have all of our dreams come true. <laughs> wow, that, that, that is amazing. So taking something personal grief that you were experiencing and translating it that into a new profound work that's helping other people along with yourself. Awesome. So Teddy, as always, why are we discussing this topic? Why did we pick grief to bring to our listeners today? 
Because everybody is going to be experiencing this in some fashion in their lifetime. And at least in our culture, it is such a such a taboo subject that even when, when a loved one passes, um, there's some people have the idea that it's unkind to bring it up. You don't want to ask them about the person who's passed. You don't want to bring up these painful emotions for people when in fact it's actually understanding the dynamic of grief and what actually is supportive for you if you're going through it or for other people that you care about if they're going through it that if we understand what grief is and how it works better we can be more supportive and more able to understand within ourselves what this process is especially with going through this pandemic right now i think a lot of people uh, when they think of grief they only think about a death which of course but it's really any kind of loss and people are experiencing a loss of a loss of freedom or a loss of the familiar or a, a loss of jobs, a loss of basically what they have come to expect as, as the normal. So there's a lot of different forms that grief can take, which I'm sure Susanna is gonna be getting into in great detail and thank you because this is much more your wheelhouse than mine. Um, but it's just so valuable to be able to have some understanding of how to navigate through what for so many people is a scary unknown territory. So you said something in that, Teddy, that really struck me as, as the kind of the basis of grief in general. And, and it was the loss of normal and whatever that meant. If, if it's a loss of a loved one, there's that normal relationship. I can't call my mom anymore. She's, she's gone. Uh, my familiar pet, I can't, you know, have him or her jump on my lap and get petted the loss of my job or the freedoms or just being able to, to experience life in the way I'm used to, mm -hmm. but the loss of normal is something that we're all going to experience at one point or another. And I'm going to throw it to you, Suzanne. What, why is this so important that we learn to deal with this in a very healthy, productive way? Well, loss is actually uh, a very common experience that we all go through. I, there, um, there's many losses. There's, as Teddy mentioned, the death of a pet, moving, graduation, major health challenges, retirement. There's so many different losses just beyond the, the passing of someone. And so why we do it is because we are actually made, wondrously made to know how to deal with grief, but our society, our culture, humans, we have um, decided that maybe that's just something that we really can't deal with. And so we just think about it because grief is the mass of, of emotions that follow every loss. So I'm not sure that answered your question or not. No, it totally did. But I want to go a little bit deeper onto through it. So going through change or loss triggers the emotion of grief. But you you said grief is kind of a mask for many emotions. And as we unpack that, kind of tell us a little bit more about what that means. Well, uh, so the definition of grief is the mass of conflicting emotions that follow every loss. And the thing is, what makes grief so difficult to understand is that it is about, like I said, the mass of conflicting emotions or feelings. 
And one reason that it's so hard is because we're taught often from day one to not really be in touch with our feelings. We're taught to think about something that we're going through that's a loss. And the problem is that our feelings are inside of us and they actually give us information about things that we're going through. And so, but we've taught, been taught from day one to sort of ignore that mass of human emotions. And one thing that grief work does is it helps us deal with this loss. We can unpack it, look at it, process it, and then they're no longer um, hanging on us like a shroud that we can't look at. Teddy, do you have any thoughts on that? There's so many misunderstandings about the grief process. And I actually have just been learning from you recently, Suzanne, that this normal five-step process that goes perfectly in sequence is not necessarily at all what that looks like. So um, as you were saying, especially within, within this culture, the shrouding ourselves and trying not to look at it because we, we wanna think about it. We don't wanna feel it. We wanna think about it till we don't think about it anymore. Well, are you still right. thinking about that? Are you still dwelling on that? Are you, you know, yeah, yeah, because it, it sticks around until you are able to process through and even then sometimes it pops back up. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the, the part of this conversation where we get into what it actually looks like, what that framework, if there is in fact actually a framework, how does, right. that, how right. does that function? How does that work? So that was one of the things we uh, talked about in our pre-podcast interview was the decoupling of the stages of grief. And then I think, Teddy, since you brought it up, we might as well go there now. Um, give us a little bit of insight onto that, Suzanne. So it's so interesting. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, an amazing woman, wrote a book called On Death and Dying, a, a classic that we should all read. And it has stages of death and dying but it is not about grief, but we try to put it into them. We tried, so many people have used those stages and say they're stages of grief. The reason that we try to avoid talking about stages is because then that's intellectualizing our grief process and thinking, okay, now I must be here, but wait a minute, I, I, I'm not really in denial about the fact that my loved one died. I mean, usually if a loved one dies, we're not in denial about their death. But so we don't, So everyone is going to go through stages differently. Some people may feel anger, some people may feel relief, but the way that they go through it is different for every human being on the face of the earth, typically. Right, so it's, it's this massive conflicting emotions. That's the definition of grief. And there's really no linear path through it. I mean, we've, we've kind of tried to apply that from our analytical thinking. So it's more of this kind of swirling. This might, I might feel, you know, sad and lonely and crying all day and don't want to get out of bed one day. And then the next day I'm furious about being laid off from my job and how dare this happens to me. Right. So is there any, I mean, you know, we want to be analytical about this and we want to think our ways through it. Is there any, any way that we can add our rational brain to this or we just have to deal with the emotions to get it through it all? No, we, we can add our rational brain. There's like Carl Jung, the famous Swiss psychiatrist, told us there's four ways of knowing about what's going on in our lives. It's thinking, very important, sensing, it's about how our body knows. It's intuiting, 
We often ignore our intuition and there's feeling. So, I mean, it's four ways and the um, thinking is very important, but, and which we'll talk about later, I believe, but the grief recovery handbook has a marvelous way of going through this. And, and the thing is, it's just beautiful, but it's not about linear understanding. We apply our thinking, but we also um, allow our, we find someone that's going to be fully present to us in our feelings and in our grief. And that's so amazing. If we can, um, when we're going through grief, if we can find someone that will be present to us and just say, I'm here for you. I don't know what to say. I don't know what, you know, except I'm just going to be right here with you. And that's one of the best ways to be present to someone when they're going through loss. Right. Well, I'm going to back up real quick because there's one thing I want to make sure that we definitely cover and we've been touching on it. We've gotten the big topics, but there, one of the things that you pointed out in our pre-conversation was there are 40 or more losses that can create grief. And I think that's something really important to understand because many times, and I'm including myself in this, I think, oh, that loss should not be requiring me to deal with my grief, right? So again, that's my intellectual, you know, suck it up brain, putting, putting parameters on it. But from, from both of you, I want to talk about in your experience, what are some of those lesser losses, quote unquote, that can really trigger grief that we don't really pay attention to? Suzanne, go first. The reason, this is one of the reasons anyway, is because we don't, we, we haven't learned how to process these feelings. When we're young, we're told not to feel this way or that way. And so with every loss that we go through, if we haven't processed it, it gets stuck into what I like to call the shadow of our consciousness. We've all heard that word. But one way to understand the shadow is it's everything's in there is things that we've been rejected for. And so guess what? When we go through loss and we're not supported to feel our feelings, it's like in that shadow where people don't try to, when they don't want to go because they learn they experience pain by, by looking at a loss. And then what happens is a next loss comes on, zip, goes in the shadow. And that's why it's so hard. Even a, uh, maybe what we may say is a smaller loss, and maybe it is or maybe it isn't. It depends on the person. But it's also attached to all those other losses we haven't processed. So like when I was a kid, I was living my best life in this neighborhood. I had my friends. I had my school. I had teachers I loved. I was probably seven. And then all of a sudden, actually, I overheard uh, my mom talking to my grandmother one morning that we were moving. And I was devastated, right? I was seven. I didn't know any better, quote unquote, again. But it was so sad. And so, I mean, I was heartbroken. But of course, I couldn't express that because, oh, we've got to move for dad's job and it'll be great and yada, yada, yada. And actually, you know, life went on and it was fine. But at that moment, it was very, very sad and heartbreaking. And it did take a little while to recover from it. Um, and I've had that same experience with moving happen over and over again, right? So that would be an example of something that I might have stuck in my shadow consciousness. And when, it, when I have those time to move on, it triggers that again. Is that, is that kind of what I'm hearing you say? 
That's exactly what I'm saying. Exactly. And the thing is, just to validate that move for a child at that age, it's the end of life as you know it. When oh, you totally. move, it's so huge. And then what the adults do around you, I don't know if you heard this or not, but it's like, oh, well, it'll be great for you. You'll make new friends. We'll have a new house and all of that stuff. But in the meantime, your heart is breaking. And those things that people say to you that they feel they have to say, so you don't feel your feelings, it, it doesn't make any sense. It's just like, but I don't want new friends. I want this friend. <laughs> yeah, the ones I got are perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah. Teddy, expand on it a little bit from your point of view and the people you work with. What are some of those, those seemingly insignificant losses that carry carry through? Mm. I'm going to tread lightly around even, even approaching these seemingly insignificant or seemingly small because it's all so, so relative. Um, as the descendant of people who've been through the Holocaust, there's hardly a frame of reference for comparison when someone, mm -hmm. um, their, their, their dog dies or their best friend moves out of town, but it's all so relative and if it feels like a loss to you it's a loss and you'll go through those those experiences of grief some of the ones that i find uh most interesting are uh, for one thing anticipatory grief when we are expecting or anticipating or worrying about what may happen in the future that will cause grief when my daughter was finishing high school and going to move out of state and you know get started having her own life I had about a year and a half of anticipatory grief before she even moved out um, because the thought of the empty nest syndrome and this is the normal and this is what I know and I won't be able to protect her so that anticipatory grief is a significant and very real thing and reminding yourself to be present with what is actually true now um, someone finds a, a lump in their breast and they go to the doctor to find out. And while they're sitting there in the waiting room before going in for, for testing, that anticipatory, oh my God, what if it's this? And they can actually start to anticipate and fear the possibility of grief of the normal or of the life. So I, I find anticipatory grief is a huge thing. I'm glad that you brought up the, the childhood experiences of grief because it's not just moving. There's childhood traumas, childhood experiences that happen every single day that just get diminished as if that's, it's not a big deal. They're a kid, they're resilient, they'll be fine, don't worry about it. Um, things like an, an absent or negligent parent feels like a grief and someone will carry that through their entire lifetime until they recognize that as it's not a rejection of me and I didn't lose them. They just simply were, were unavailable because of whatever their issues were. But until we can understand and give some credibility and some credence to these various experiences of grief. The expectation is we're supposed to shove it down, not actually feel it, don't, don't, you're making a big deal out of nothing. Well, it's not nothing to them. The loss of a pet can be crushing for somebody. This is your best friend or your childhood friend moving away. I wonder when you had to move and start over again, how did your best friend or your next door neighbor feel as you left Then these- right these long-term experiences of unexpressed or even unacknowledged grief are, as, as Suzanne was saying, these are the things that create the shadows. These are the things that create our, our deepest fears because the fear is the anticipation of feeling that coming back in full force after a loss 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, 
and that it's still there under the surface. And on some level, you know, it's still there under the surface. And when is this going to pop up? When, when, when will I actually have to deal with, with the it. grief that I've experienced? So that's, that's something that comes up frequently in the office. Right, right. And then there was something that you were, I were on this topic of the 40 or more losses that, that can trigger grief. But you said something, Teddy, about, oh, it's not that big of a grief. It's not something I'm going to use the word worthy of grieving over, but in fact, individually, we should be able to own that it is, that it is something that's worth grieving yeah. over. Yeah. Um, even if it's not, you know, a death of a loved one or something as awful as survive your family surviving or not surviving the Holocaust, how can we give ourselves the space to feel that grief and deal with that grief or go back into those shadows and dig that grief up. I think that's where we're going next with all of this is, you know, what, what are the myths around dealing with grief and, and why do we have them? Suzanne? Yes, um, there's probably more than six, but the Grief Recovery Institute identified six. So um, I'll just list those six, they're sort of fast. A don't feel bad, which is ridiculous because when you are, it's this mass of, of um, feelings, conflicting feelings, you're going to feel bad. And especially if you've been taught not to feel your feelings and mm -hmm. we're an adult and we have this loss, we're going to feel bad. I, I said it was like telling someone who's going through grief and loss to not get wet when they go swimming. You yeah. know, that's what sort of don't feel your feelings. The next one is replace the loss. Uh, we say that all the time. Oh, you can get a new dog. You can get a new boyfriend. You can get a new house. You can get a new job. Um, the next one is grieve alone, which is horrible. That's why grievers tend to isolate. Um, one reason they isolate though is because people aren't present to them emotionally. And so, for example, if they lost someone to death, then they may, people will intellectually say to them, oh, well, be thankful that they're not suffering anymore, or um, be thankful that they're in a better place, or uh, God will never give you more than you can handle, or you know, all these things that sort of sound good, but they do nothing to a broken heart. Right, and it just makes everyone awkward around each other, right? So it's like, if you're gonna be awkward towards me while I'm grieving, I'm just gonna remove myself from the situation because mm -hmm. it's just weird. Exactly. So and then the, the, uh, a huge one that's said all the time is just give it time. And the thing is, time does not heal all wounds. It's what we do in time. So I know people that have been grieving the loss of their parent who may be died when they were young for 80 years, but they're still grieving because right. time didn't heal it is what we do in time. Then the last two, be strong for others and then keep busy. <laughs> mm -hmm. yes yeah. don't deal with it keep busy just keep that just bury it down with the rest of the shadows yeah right i find that very interesting especially the first one when you brought up the don't feel bad because that is so common to hear that oh don't feel bad it'll be okay they're in a better place and all of these things that are well-intentioned and meant to be reassuring and helpful but i think the subtext of that one in particular is don't feel bad you'll make other people feel uncomfortable don't right. express your emotions. Don't don't cry. Don't yell. Don't have those ugly feelings because you'll make people uncomfortable if you have to be dramatic about it. 
go to another room and close the door or do that when you're alone, or maybe you should talk to someone, which means maybe you should talk to someone who isn't me. Um, don't feel bad. You'll make me uncomfortable. Right. Especially if you're talking about someone, something that you're, that's a loss for you. And if I haven't dealt with my own issues and losses, you talking is going to make it uh, it's going to come up in my consciousness. So I'm going to say, don't feel bad. It's okay. Mostly yeah. so I can take care of myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So we get triggered by other people's grief because we haven't dealt with our own grief. That's just what I heard you say there. And we also when we do that, we're shutting down and shutting it out and not, you know, not processing the feelings that it's bringing up in ourselves. But how do we, how do we get past that? I mean, we're all there. We all have it one side or the other of the grief coin here. How do we move on, Suzanne? Well, so just, you know, the, um, actually the grief work, the, this book that I love, it talks about it's completing the losses in the relationship. Because when we go through, we're talking a lot about death today, which is such a huge loss. But, you know, there's so many others. But when we lose someone, it's like our relationships get, our feelings get frozen in time about that loved one. And so what the steps, it, steps, see, I even said it, <laughs> but the steps, the, 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 the process of doing this grief work is what it does is it enables us to unearth these frozen feelings, to look at them. And there are certain things to apply to these feelings. And, and then as we work with it and understand it, and then look deep within and see what kind of negative beliefs we may be carrying about the losses, we can do all of that and heal it. And then what happens is we're then able to be present to our loss and our feelings, and even more than that, connect to our deepest, authentic, truest self, whatever you want to call it, and enable, we can move forward after having found the courage to look at this, because society tells us not to. But it's the courageous work, but it's a work that frees us in amazing ways. So... So you're talking about specifically work that um, is outlined in the Grief Recovery Handbook by John W. James and Russell Friedman, right? Yes. And we'll, we'll make sure that we have links to that book on um, our website for this podcast. And you said earlier that you found this work because of your sister's death. How, I mean, how did that come about? How, did, how were you led to this particular piece of work and 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 know that it was the right thing for you to do? Well, so I, I was in such deep pain about it because I was the oldest, she was the second, we're just two of us. And I I was oldest, the oldest sister and she died. And what was I gonna do? I'd always been right. trying to, you know, offer help to her. She was dealing with alcoholism and she'd really died of a broken heart, but it was from alcoholism. And so what do you do with that as a therapist and a minister? And so I got this book and I did the exercises with two female friends. It was so wonderful. And then I just got certified in the program because I found that, that grief or not dealing with our grief in a way can be the beginning of almost every, every issue that we deal with. Now, I know that's a really huge thing to say, 
But when you think about it, the issues that we have, the diagnoses we have, when you look at it underneath it, they often begin with a loss that we don't know how to deal with. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can see some patterns, you know, when we talk about these things on these podcasts, it's, you know, Teddy, you know, this is so amazing because you're like, like, wow, I can see this in my own life. And I'm really hoping our listeners can, can relate to it as well. Sure. But there's different ways that we heal from grief. And Suzanne, I really appreciate you sharing that very personal story with us and then taking that and making it part of your life's work. But Teddy, give us some other ways that, that people deal with grief and, and some of the things that, that you've seen. Well, for one thing, touching back to uh, what Suzanne was saying, and you touch on just a moment there, I want to bring up this, the, the neuroplasticity that we talk about mm -hmm. so often that the loss leaves a void, it leaves a vacuum. So you have the option of do nothing and just sit with the discomfort of that, that emptiness or finding a way to create these new neural pathways with, okay, and where do I go from here? How do I function here? Because um, nature does, nature's not a big fan of voids. There's not a lot of just empty emptiness. I mean, we find even in the vast, vast space, there's this dark matter. There's a need to fill in where there's a lack. So some of the, the greatest innovations, some of the greatest uh, developments that someone can experience personally will frequently come after a loss. Someone, something, somehow needs to fill in this missing space. So it is an opportunity if you can allow yourself to be real with the feelings. It's an opportunity to allow some, some creativity, some expansiveness. Maybe how can I honor this, this person? What can, I, what can I create for them? What can I do to fill this empty space, this empty void that's there. Some people will turn to less than optimal uh, resources. They'll, they'll start drinking because they're trying to mask the feelings. They'll do drugs. They'll gamble anything, anything so that I don't have to go there, anything so I don't have to go there. It's an option. It's not the healthiest option. Um, there's also, where can I find the support that I need? These grief groups are incredibly valuable. What can I read that's going to be supportive? Um, what can I, what can I do? What can I do to fill this space to, to give myself the emotional freedom and permission to acknowledge what actually is now that the normal isn't a thing anymore as I'm grieving that normal, what can I create now? We're seeing this happening a lot with people, again, dealing not necessarily with the death, but with the anticipation, the fear of catching this virus, the, the job loss and all of these things. There's a, okay we're needing to form a new normal. What can that look like? What can we possibly do that's going to be healthier? So I think you asked what I'm, what I'm seeing coming into the office. Um, a lot of time, what that is, is it's a frustration with having to feel. They don't want to have to feel it. When am I going to get over this is something like, how long is this going to take? As if there's some, some timeline, I can say, well, it's going to take about 45 more minutes and then you're good. It doesn't work that way. Um, so am I ever going to get through this? How long is this going to take? Is this ever going to end? And this is a real biggie. Am I betraying my loved one if I feel better? If I start to get over it, yeah. is that somehow a mm -hmm. violation or a diminishing of the love that I have felt? And it's a very understandable perspective. 
I saw a TED talk recently, and I think I want to provide the link in our uh, in our show notes for this. It was an interesting TED talk, and she was talking about um, how did she phrase it? Uh, you don't get over it; you get through it. And I think that's a really valuable perspective. It is not a betrayal or a lack of loyalty to what was. You're not the reason it isn't anymore. There's so much guilt that can go along with grief. And that's something that wasn't necessarily noted in Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's initial five steps is, is it okay to feel hope? What do I do with the guilt? So um, hopefully that answered your question. No, that, that was really good. And, and I'm gonna take that one step further because you said, what if it isn't your fault? You know, or it's not your fault, but what if, what if you're the one that ended the relationship and you're still feeling that grief? Mm. What if you're the one that caused the move that your child is, you know, suffering from? What if in some way you do need to own that yeah. grief? How do you then reconcile that? Say, oh, I shouldn't have left. I shouldn't have moved. What, what do we do there? Mm. Either one of you. <laughs> I think what you might be touching on, and I, I would love for you to address this further, Suzanne, is uh, survivor's guilt and the, the anguish that someone who is still alive when someone else has committed suicide, or like, like you were just stating the, uh, the other examples of it was your choice to move and now your whole family is hurting because of the grief of that. This was your choice. This was something that you caused. Exactly an acknowledgement of were you actually doing the best that you knew how to do with the resources you had at the time? Self-forgiveness is huge and very, very hard for a lot of people. Where would you go with that, Suzanne? Well, yes, I've loved everything you've said about this. Uh, another healing model that I use that fits well, well with this is it's like um, if, if all the listeners could think about three concentric circles and the very circle in the, in the center is about our authentic self, where our deepest strengths, our deepest dreams, you know, it, it's like who we are at the core. And I believe, it's my belief that that part of us has never been hurt. Then the next level is the shadow, which we talked about, but that's where all the losses are. And any, any trauma or abuse that we've been through is in the shadow. And then the third circle is how we live our lives. But so the grief work helps us unfreeze that shadow. And if you think about it, though, these three concentric circles, the shadow sits on top of our authentic self. We mm -hmm. need to do this healing work. And then we connect with the essence of who we are, our inner hero. It's like I like doing this work with kids, teenagers, because they love that, that idea of an inner hero. But as we do this work, we connect with an amazing strength within it's the essence of who we are. And then we're able to reach out in life in ways that maybe we had never done before because we found the courage to do our grief work. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So let's, let's, uh, I'd like this defrosting the frozen emotions. Oh, me too. And that is, you know, we've, we've talked about that in our pre-conversation and you just now brought it up again, but when you defrost these frozen emotions, you're melting away that barrier to your authentic self, right? Yes. And then that allows you to also melt away the barrier that's keeping everyone else out in some way or another. Yes. And then the thing is too, 
I, I like that, those words defrosting the emotions, but we can't do it just with our minds. Again, not just intellectualizing, but having the courage to feel it. But this process takes, it, it, the best way to go through it is to find safe people to talk about it with. Because mm -hmm. two humans coming together in the presence of willingness to feel these feelings is a tremendously strong pack of people, even if it's just two. And in that, we can, there's probably not a lot that we can't heal. Amazing. So are there different ways that, I mean, we we talk about this as from a very, you know, I'm going to use the word clinical, but that's not quite the right word. A very, you know, we don't want to, we can't solve this by being analytical, logical and thinking about it. Um, but are there other things like faith? Or if you don't prescribe to a traditional religion, you know, how would you look at grief from that perspective? What are some of the things outside of, you know, just sitting down and doing the work and following what's in the book that we can, you know, look to lean on? Uh, Teddy, one of the things that you sent around the other day was... Uh, yeah why to have a physicist speak at your funeral, right? I, I would love to share that with our listeners. And it seems like now would be an appropriate time. And this is in no way to diminish anyone's faith. And no, if, someone, if, if the belief is they're in a better place, they've gone on to heaven or, or there's reincarnation or whatever the belief system is, I think it's very important that that be honored. Um, but there are some people who don't necessarily prescribe. Um, that's the right word to... Uh, a particular faith or a particular, this is what happens after death. So this was actually shared. I had a beloved friend who passed a few years ago and this it's a little lengthy, but I'll, I'll uh, share it. It said, um, you want a physicist to speak at your funeral. You want the physicist to talk to your grieving family about the conservation of energy. So they'll understand that your energy has not died. You want the physicist to remind your sobbing mother about the first law of thermodynamics, that no energy gets created in the universe and none is destroyed. You want your mother to know that all energy, every vibration, every BTU of heat, every wave of every particle that was her beloved child remains in her in this world. You want the physicist to tell your weeping father that amid energies of the cosmos, you give as good as you got. At one point, you'd hope that the physicist would step down from the pulpit and walk to your brokenhearted spouse there in the pew and tell him that all the photons that ever bounced off your face, all the particles whose paths were interrupted by your smile, by the touch of your hair, hundreds of trillions of particles have raced off like children, their ways forever changed by you and your widow rocks in the arms of a loving family. And may the physicist let her know that all the photons that bounced from you were gathered in the particle detectors that are her eyes. And those photons created with the constellations of electromagnetically charged neurons whose energy will go on forever. And it goes on from there, uh, just talking about if it's anything that has existed in the physical world, it will always have a physical form and it might not be a form that you recognize, but energy does not cease to exist just because we don't recognize the form. So even if you're not a believer in the hereafter, even if you're not a believer in the, the heaven hell concept or the reincarnation concept, even if you only believe in the laws of physics, the laws of physics confirm the energy is still here and you can, you right. can still access that, that, that deep connection. That's not a complete loss. 
So energy cannot be destroyed. It changes form, but there's no destruction there. And I think that's where we can start to build back on that hope. And for me, there's a lot of times when I'm with someone that's grieving or especially right after a loss, I can feel that, you know, that energy it's there, it's still present. And sometimes people see like symbols or signs and, you know, like, I know that my grandmother sent me that sign. I know that I'm supposed to listen to this. All of those things are like part of that emotional feeling and healing, right? Or is it just a bunch of scientific mumbo jumbo? <laughs> <laughs> Suzanne, I think that you you had a, a, a story, something about an animal or, or getting these symbols from someone that you loved who had passed. Am I remembering that correctly? Oh, yeah, I, I had a sign, you know, because we're always asking for signs, um, you know, from our loved one that passed. Yeah. And I, I think to the, I, I think we can help and whether people believe in that or not, but, but I had this special sign when I was going to get the grief book after my sister died. And um, it was just like she died just a few weeks before. And my sister was a, just a beautiful six foot tall, beautiful woman. And she loved big black vehicles. She had a big black truck that I still have that I inherited. <laughs> oh. <laughs> anyway, so, and so, she, um, I, I said, Linda, give me a sign. And um, as I got out of the bookstore, I got in the car and there was this big, beautiful black Lexus SUV with gold trim. And I go, oh, that's a good sign. And then I looked at the license plate and it said LBX 924. And LBX were her initials, X for cross. And 924 is the day she died. Wow. <laughs> It was just so wonderful. So right. you know, miracles happen everywhere. Sure. They really, really do. And I think it's important for us to acknowledge those miracles because again, we get into that analytical brain. We've got to think our way through this. And as much as that license plate meant to you, someone else could just not see it as something very important and very, very profound, a miracle, as you put it. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I totally believe in that. If all that it does is offer comfort, even if you're kidding yourself and all it did was offer comfort, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I am not a believer that it's it's all in our heads or something that we hope to see. I, I hear stories all the time about ever since they're gone, this particular animal has been appearing to me or this song comes on at just the right time. My grandmother seems to appear to me and when I see a rainbow, I think of, of her. Um, this this beloved friend of mine who passed anytime I see a blue heron because there was a blue heron who did not belong where he was during the entire memorial ceremony so wow. so often these these grief experiences have an, an externalized form that can offer so much comfort a song comes on the radio or a, a particular vehicle is right there in front of you it's it's comforting and I don't think there's anything wrong with just allowing ourselves to have the comfort from that right mm -hmm. comfort reassurance even sometimes the push to go do the next thing that needs to be done in order to heal as in your case Suzanne yeah um all right fascinating I, I love I love that part so much um 
let's move on to the final thoughts. I mean, we've talked a lot about this from all angles. Um, the one thing we really haven't really dived into is what can we do as someone who cares about someone who's grieving, whether they know they're grieving or not, whether they're acknowledging that they're grieving or not, how can we be a supporting, caring spouse, friend, neighbor? How does that work? I mean, again, we talked about the whole awkward thing. So how do we get through that? So, okay. There's this, um, another amazing thing, a fact that comes from science where if you take two heart cells from two different people and put them in the same Petri dish, in time, they are going to start beating at the same rhythm. And so what that tells me is if just two heart cells do that, then if we just come together and we're just willing to be present to someone, that, and, and that is one of the most healing things that could ever happen. We can do the work in the grief recovery book. I love it. But if we just want to be with someone has lost someone or going through loss, all we need to do is be present. And when I do these workshops on the grief, I draw a huge face in the shape of a heart with two eyes and a nose, but no mouth. Because we don't really need to know what to say. We just need to be present with our essence with our heart. <laughs> right. Beautiful, beautiful. Teddy, what are your final thoughts on this subject? Um, I would say it's a very important thing to remember that emotions are not logical. Um, and that this pressure that we can put on ourselves to know what to say, or to know how to get through it, or to know how to get past it, or just get over it, it wasn't that big of a deal, or whatever these, these intellectual ideas that we have, or this, give me, a, give me a process, give me some steps to follow. Emotions are not logical. So allowing ourselves to recognize when something comes up and that just doesn't make sense, why would I be crying now? Why would I be angry now? Why would, why would this come up now? That sometimes the why is not going to have a logical answer. The answer is because you're a human being going through a human experience. And even if it's an uncomfortable feeling, it's still yours. Probably better to allow yourself to acknowledge it as gracefully as possible. Have the emotion that you need to have because suppressing it will make it a bigger, scarier, shadowy monster that you learn to develop a fear of rather than a few moments of I don't like that feeling. If you need to cry, you cry. And if you need to talk, you ask. Um, frequently, what I hear people saying when someone has gone through a loss is they'll, they'll go to the person who's in the grieving process and say, let me know if you need anything. Call me if you need anything. If there's anything I can do, which is very sweet and certainly a sincere offer. And it is very hard to reach out especially with these emotions that none of us like to be feeling anyway, who wants to reach out and say, I can't stop crying and I've got all this goop running out of my nose and I'm absolutely disgusting and I'm embarrassed to be seen, but I don't wanna be alone. Could you come over and be here with me? Who says that? So even going beyond the, if there's anything I can do, but actually calling and reaching out and being present as you were saying, Suzanne, and with yourself also show up and be present. And if you're the one going through the grief, let yourself have that. 
and it's not going to be as scary as if you try to shove it down in some corner and pretend it isn't there for a long time. Right. So both ways, if you're the one grieving, don't be afraid to accept that sincere offer. And if you're the one who's there for a grieving person, step up. Don't don't hold back. That's something that that I that I have learned too. I mean, I was mentioning earlier, sometimes I have this kind of this post-death kind of conversation with whoever's died. And at first I was like, I shouldn't share this with, you know, the the loved one that's really grieving because they might, it might be weird. They might not take it the way I intend it, et cetera. But I stopped thinking that way and started writing it down and sharing it. And in every instance, and I get, get goosebumps from this because it's so powerful. In every instance, when I got over my own, not wanting to feel that for whatever reason and shared it with the person who actually needed it, it's been amazingly healing. So I, I, would, I would agree, definitely, sincerely reach out to people and do what you can, whether that's bringing them a meal, setting up a, you know, a support group, whatever it is that you feel called to do to support that person, I guarantee you they're going to be grateful for it. Right. Um, Even though they might be like, I'm strong. I don't need it. We all do. It's those two heart cells coming together and starting to beat in unison together. And if we can do that one person to another, you know, different parts of our culture to another and start becoming a human race and healing this Mm. profound grief that we have individually and culturally, I think we're going to be in a much better place as, as a world and, and as a, as a society. Yeah. That said, I want to give a quick shout out of gratitude before we wrap up to anyone who's listening, who is involved in hospice. I have never heard anything, the slightest bit negative, only incredible amounts of gratitude for anyone who's involved in doing hospice work because they are courageously going into the places where people don't know. What do I say? What do I do? How do I handle this? They're not dealing with the anticipatory grief all of the time. Sometimes it's the very real right now. So if there's anybody in our, in our listening pool who has been involved in hospice, a sincere, sincere, deep gratitude for you. Yes, indeed. Indeed. So to wrap it up, we've got a couple of main thoughts here that, that I jotted down. It's like, as a society, we've been taught not to feel our emotions. Don't feel bad. You'll get a new puppy, all of that good stuff. Have a cookie. That was one of my favorite things here. Don't feel bad. Just, just have this. Mm-hmm. Um, we also try to do our grief intellectually, right? Okay. I'm going to deal with this grief step-by-step, step, get it done. That that's, that's a big myth. That's not how it works. And then we're also very worried about not having the right thing to say to someone or I'm going to do something and they really don't want it. You know, they just need time by themselves. And so getting past that fear of connecting, that awkwardness of connecting with someone who's going through grief is something we need to, to, to let go of too. But the most important thing that I got from all of this is that healing the past allows us to be in the present and access our greatest strengths. So by not healing this, we're we're covering up all of those things that make us great and that make us, that give us the opportunity to really lead our highest lives, our high, be in our highest state of being and also affect a better world going forward. So it's almost like we need to do this work in order to really 
gosh, make ourselves in the world a better place. So I, I, I can't, I mean, the one thing I'm getting out of this whole conversation is how fundamentally important it is for us to do this grief work on whatever level it is for you, but we all have it. We've all shunted it underneath the covers. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always thought, you know, I deal with it, move on, deal with it, move on. And I'm starting to see that there are things there. There's still things that are frozen uh, that I needed frost. <laughs> um, so, so thank you, Suzanne. That was amazing. Do you have any closing words of wisdom for us before we sign off today? Well, I, lo- I loved what you just said. That was beautiful synopsis. And I, I completely agree with you. And it's just like, it's the best gift we can give the world because we then can connect with our essence, our truest self, and then heal the world according to how we are guided to do it. And this enables us to do that. So amazing. I love it. (laughs) That's why I love grief. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? It all comes full circle. That is for sure. Teddy from you, any last words of wisdom here? I just want to thank Suzanne for coming and bringing this this expertise. This is a topic that so many people are afraid to even go to. And when we first started discussing, would you be comfortable coming on the podcast and being someone we talked to? And your initial response was, oh, I would love to. This is my favorite thing to talk about. And I thought, that's crazy how wonderful it's got to be you. So thank you for coming and shining some light on this, this topic and letting us see that it's really not it doesn't have to be that that scary. That there, not only is there light at the end of the tunnel, there's uh, the light is available right now, and there are ways around this. And uh, when someone suggests what what Kat said, just leave them alone; they'll be okay. Just leave them alone. That's probably the opposite of what we're going to want to do. So thank you for that that reminder and that reflection, and and bringing your wisdom with us today. Oh, thank you so very much, Teddy. This has been a delightful experience. Thank you, and thank you, Kat. It was just really a wonderful experience today. Well, much appreciated on our end as well. And listeners, thank you all so much. Uh, be sure and visit the higherstateofbeing.com notes uh, for this podcast. We'll have the links to the books and all the reference materials that we talked about will be there. Uh, again, thank you all for listening. We'll see you in a couple of weeks with another episode. Until then, live your best life in a higher state of being. Thank you for listening to Higher State of Being. We invite you to visit higherstateofbeing.com and become part of our community. Here you will find the guided meditations and resources to help you on your journey. Subscribe and get full access to all downloadable meditations, deeper resources, and much more. Visit higherstateofbeing.com.